0: for joining us for another amazing message from c3 church calendar our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to jesus now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from god um i want to talk about our our theme for the rest of the month is jesus is i love talking about jesus and um and it's actually kind of hard to just come up with one specific area Um, I have in the front of my journal, 160 different names of Jesus um, throughout scripture. And uh, to pick one that you want to talk about is actually fairly difficult. So I just read through the gospels again and I began to see, Lord, what's in here that would help people and what's, what's in here that would be useful. And so it was hard for me not to think about him as the king. <clears throat> he said that his kingdom, he was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. That's a very, very radical thought. I've entitled this message, Jesus the Beautiful Revolutionary, because he was that man that would not go away. And uh, thinking about this king, uh, you think, you, you read over his, about his life, this one that sin could not tempt nor death defeat, that hell could not hold and the grave could not keep. This lion who turned, sorry, lamb that turned lion changed the course of all of history for all of history. And the, the moment that he breathed his last breath, the entire world heaved. No one like him before, no one like him since. We who are now more than soldiers of the cross, we become heirs of the throne. No longer slave status, but the potential of becoming sons. Who is this beautiful revolutionary? I have two passages, actually three passages, John 14 to 15, and then John chapter 17 that I want to read from. And I want to reference, I want to remind us of the, the, the miracle of scriptures. Jesus, he was the word. But he never wrote a word and and uh, he but he references self references himself as the word in John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word Um, Who was this man that wouldn't go away? This is my introduction one one day after Jesus's death it looked as if whatever small mark he'd left on the earth was about to disappear and quite quickly But instead, something quite the opposite happened after his disappearance. His influence never diminished, but it actually flourished. Normally, when someone dies, their impact immediately begins to recede. But Jesus completely inverted the normal trajectory of influence, and we find that his impact was greater 100 years after his death than even during his life and greater still 1,000 years later when his legacy laid the foundation for most of present-day Europe. And now after 2,000 years, he has more followers in more places of influence in every strata of society, in every corner of the globe, Jesus is not going away. <laughs> He's the man who would not go away. When he died, one would have thought that that crude following would have died with him and reviewing the details of his life, we note that he deliberately put himself on a crash course with one of the strongest world powers of his day, the Romans. That course should have crushed him and his followers like a bug. Well, it actually did crush him, but he would not go away. Jesus is history's most familiar figure by a long way, and his impact on the world is completely unprecedented. He never wrote a book, but more have been written and referenced him than any other man on the earth. Ironically, he is self-referenced as the word of God. Even in death, you can't escape Jesus' influence. The practice of burial was taken from his followers. The term cemetery comes from the words sleeping place, which was an expression of hope of the resurrection after And when there is no tombstone to be put in place, what is put in place instead is a cross. Yes, the reference of his death. Whatever he did or did not do in the course of his short life, it's unquestionable that his influence did not stop at his death. And in many ways, it just started. I love Luke chapter 24. You don't have this passage overhead, but uh, it's hard not to read this uh, to me. It's the best account. Of something that took place right after the resurrection, and I want you—you you can notice it if you want—but it actually gives us a peek into some what Jesus was like. Um, there's two people traveling down a road, Mary and uh, Clo- Cleopas. <laughs> Cleopas, let's just call her Cleo. Um, I love verse 15 as they were walking along and of course and and Jesus is incognito. He's, he's unable to be recognized and these two are, are ho- They're without hope. They're devastated that their leader has just left and he's just been cruelly crucified and uh, Even though he told them that this wouldn't be the end It was hard for them to believe and they're quite disappointed And so they're traveling together, and Jesus starts to chat them up in verse 14. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had just happened. And suddenly, I love the suddenlies of scripture. And suddenly, oh Lord, let Jesus show up, suddenly. Suddenly, Jesus came along and joined them and began walking beside them. What a wonderful, miraculous undertaking. And he began walking in step with them and along with them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. Just wonder how many times we've chatted with Jesus and never knew. You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written all over their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that had happened in these last few days. He was the embodiment of what happened. Um, then he, he goes on to say, uh, yeah, well, what things? And like, this is so beautiful of Jesus. He, I, I, he asks questions. He's trying to pull out of them, like what's going on inside you? Well, what, what things? Just call, Tell me what things. The, and at this point, as Jesus is is chatting them up. He doesn't deviate from the Old Testament narratives. He actually, he, he, he never did. He was the fulfillment of them. And he begins to remind them as they look at back on what has just taken place and the scriptures that they already had, but they were in a sepia, sort of a black and white backdrop, and he places them into technicolor and puts a 3D dimension on the word of God. And it's honestly quite thrilling to watch. Look at at verse um, um, 25. Then Jesus said, you're foolish people, you find it so hard to believe. All that the prophets wrote in scripture, wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses, all the prophets explaining what all of scripture said about him. Listen, you can't get away from Jesus in the scriptures. He is all through the scriptures. <laughs> he, he's the fulfillment of every prophecy in the Old Testament. You can, but here's the problem: you can read it and not see it. <laughs> so, so. But here's what Jesus does: He makes scriptures come alive, and that's what He does for them. I love this. Um, he says that all the scripture later on, he says, um, where is it? It's in about um, where he says that it's verse 44, I think. Verse 44, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me by Moses. Moses wrote about Jesus. Everything written. And the prophets. And in the Psalms. Boy, I just love going to the Psalms. When you go through the Psalms, look for Jesus in the Psalms. He's everywhere. But you need revelation, eyes to see it. I love this. So what, what was what was wrong? What was wrong with them? Well, what was wrong was that they were reading the scriptures through the wrong lens. It's easy for us to do. It's very easy to do. And so he helps them look at it and set it straight. Jesus sets all of Scripture straight. So he takes them through showing them that he's everywhere and then he gives the why as he accepts an invitation for dinner. This is profound. So they invite him for dinner. Anytime anybody's been around Jesus or the Jesus in you, it's incredibly attractive and they don't wanna leave. Could you just stay a little bit longer? Oh, won't you stay? (laughs) So he stays for dinner. And he reclines at the table, verse um, uh, 32. Uh, Sorry, verse somewhere in here. They said, won't you just stay? Stay just a little bit longer. And he explains to them in in metaphor his why. So I want to talk about the mission of Jesus and the power of scripture. Gives them the why. He accepts his invitation. And as he's reclining, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he blesses it. And in that moment, they are able to see that the one that's breaking the bread is the bread. And, and somehow their eyes get opened and he, he, they realize in that moment that this one who was a stranger is really no stranger to them at all. This is what Revelation does as we read through the scriptures and as we, as we begin to believe What the word says about him in there's moments when all of a sudden it becomes absolutely alive and we can't help But be reminded and 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 here's what what he does here Luke concludes the statement With an echo of Genesis chapter 3 where it says and their eyes were opened and they knew You know our eyes need to be opened because if our eyes aren't open. We won't know so our eyes need to be opened Jesus Part of his ministry is restoring sight to those who are blind, spiritually. And that's one of his missions in life. I wanna look at a few other missions. I collect mission statements of Jesus. Um, I, um, one of them was, and right after this, right after he revealed himself, then he says, peace be with you. One of his purposes is to remind you that he is, and offers, and always is accessible, as, as peace. He is the prince of peace. After you know him as savior, there's so many other ways you can know him. And maybe you need to know him today as your peace. Not just their peace, but your peace. Um, one of the other reasons he came was to take away or take upon himself the sin of the world, clearly. One of his missions. Uh, that our punishment take our punishment for death and purchase eternal life for us. But he also came not just to offer us eternal life, but abundant life. These are two different qualities of life. Um, he came also, it says in First John chapter three, and verse eight, to destroy the works of the evil one. One of his purposes. He also came to make those make an open display. Colossians chapter two, and verse fifteen and publicly shame evil rulers and authority by his victory over them on the cross. Publicly shaming them, that's what the cross did. He came as a king to initiate and reveal a kingdom that was not of this world. And he also came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not those who were lost, but that which was lost. This is, this, these are profound purposes of Jesus, many things were lost at the fall. But one of the things that he came to do, we want to look at John chapter 14 and 15, and, uh, and this, is, this is a beautiful thing. You can't read through this chapter and, or read about his life and not see that one of his purposes was to reveal the Father. If you have not had a revelation of the Father, but you've had a revelation of Jesus, that's still accessible for you today. This is a, this is a beautiful, powerful thing. It's one of the reasons that he came. Uh, in chapter 14, he gives one of his I am statements, but, but before he does that, he, when he taught his disciples to pray, he says, pray our Father, not even our God, or or to just a generic God, but he says, when you pray, you address God as our collective father. This is one of the most profound things in all of scripture, and one of the greatest privileges of a man, I believe, is to be a father. It's awesome to be married, but it's unbelievably rewarding to be a father. So he says, That's how we should, that's how we should pray. pray. So verse four, he says, uh, he starts off by saying, and you know where I'm going and how to get there. Thomas pipes up, no, we don't know, Lord. We don't have any idea where you're going. So how can we even know the way? Jesus said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We have access through the Father, to the Father, through Jesus. Uh, If you had if if you had known who I am then you would have known who my father is From now on you know him and have seen him isn't that an enigmatic passage from now on you know him and You have seen him. He says he goes on to say when you've seen me you've seen the father well Really? Because you're the son. I know it's complicated but once the Holy Spirit breathes on that thought we find new life. Well, Lord, show us the Father, Philip said, and we will be satisfied. What a, what a thing. Would you be satisfied if you could simply see God as Father? For Philip, that was his confession. Philip, didn't you, didn't you even yet know who I am? And even after all this time that I've been with you, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is one of the five tenets of fundamental faith the Trinity Okay, the words I say are not my own but my Father who lives in me He does the Father who lives in me does his work through me Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe because of what you have seen It's a game-changer when you've seen Jesus you've seen the Father I don't know what your father was like. I know what my father was like But he's saying I'm going to give you if you see me. I'm going to give you a real true revelation of what Father pure fatherhood really is But many times in our experience we have had not great experiences with our earthly father And therefore we place the model of father from our earthly father onto our Heavenly Father and he says no you need to be refathered You need to know what it's like to be with and around the perfect father and he says and his heart and his motive and his intentions are just exactly the same as being with me there should be no question in our minds does a father want to heal Jesus went about healing all is it the father's intention and desire to heal yes all the time everyone all the time everyone That's his heart and intention. Why it doesn't happen, that's a mystery. But this is what Jesus did. And this is now what you and I are to carry on. Um, He goes on to say a little further that that he says, uh, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. This is a big statement. I'm not going to leave you fatherless. Of course, that's some of the fear. I'm not going to leave you hopeless. I'm not going to leave you unattended. I'm not going to leave you uncared for. I'm not going to leave you not belonging. I I love this. And um, he said, I'm not going to leave you like that. Verse 16, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another counselor. I love that word another because what's Jesus been already? He's been a counselor already. and he says when the Holy Spirit comes he's going to comfort but he's going to be another comforter because I was a comforter and the Father also is a comforter you see you see this is a really important part for us to get because in first John or sorry John 1 and verse 12 he says as many as received him he gave the privilege or the right to become children that you and I are no longer slaves The Father came to a planet that was filled with orphans. And he came to reveal his fatherhood through his son, Jesus. I'm going to give you another one. Uh, 141 times the word know is used in John's gospel. But the word know in the New Testament has four different meanings. The least effective and the lowest level of knowing is, is facts. Just facts. The second level is to understand the truth that's behind the facts. I'm getting to a point. Is that, my point is this, is you can know the truth and you can know the facts, but it doesn't mean that you actually know the Father yet. Just facts and where they came from. The third level is to know the person behind the facts and then relate to them. This was Paul's revelation that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. He might not just know of him, but know him intimately and relate to him as that, the resurrection and the life. But the fourth level is to have a deep relationship and a deep experience with him. And he explains this in verses 19 to 24. Where he says, no, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to come to you in just a little while. The world will not see me again, but you will, for I will live again and you will too. And when I'm raised for life again, you will know that I'm in the father and you were in me and I am in you. What a complicated passage. But he says, here's what can happen. We can have this intimate knowing of what's going on. Not only my intentions, my heart, but actually I will vector them right into you. And now you'll have those same passions and desires as a heavenly daddy is. John Lee, Welcome. (laughs) <laughs> okay and, and then go and then go for, for those who obey my commands are the ones that love me and because they love me my father will love them and I will love them and I'll reveal myself to each one of them this is this is profound let me let me just let me try to put together a very quick revelation for you that I under uh, that I because I personally think that the that the body of Christ and the family of God now ha, can and is becoming an apostolic family and that's very different than just a collective bunch of Believers he says in chapter and, and, and here's why it's important because I think that revelation ultimately comes out of relationship And he says just a little further down in chapter 15 he said I no longer Gonna call you slaves Because a slave doesn't know what the master is doing what he's saying pastor I'm saying that if you've got a slave mentality you will see God as a slave master this was a big issue of them getting out of bondage in Egypt I'm glad that most of you here have had the faith to get out of the slave mentality of Egypt but can I invite you to a a bigger level of revelation And it's not just enough to be wandering in the desert, but to come into a place of promise. This is kingdom life. This is is different. And he said, out of a a new relationship, you're going to be able to understand the motives and the intentions of the Father's business. This is such an important thing for us. Um, What happens is that it's easy for us to carry our slave mentality into reading the scriptures. Ah, it's just another bunch of lists for us to do. See, for a slave, all they wanted to do was make sure that the master was happy. And so what would they do? Well, they would perform for the master. What was that based on? That was based on fear. Is your image of God that of a slave master and you relate to him out of fear, or is it that of a loving father, and rather than just do as you're told, you crawl up into his arms for a, for a heavenly father's embrace. It's a different mentality. I'm not gonna leave you abandoned or helpless or hopeless or unwanted or unloved. He said it's another dimension of relationship. Orphans are characterized by selfishness, They're, they have to promote themselves, self promotion. They have to preserve themselves, self-preservation. When when you're around orphans, you find that they hoard a lot. Now, don't go look at my garage. That's not not where that comes from. Those are very essential things in my garage that someday will be useful for somebody. But I'm told in orphanages and many times when people don't have a revelation of the Father's love, they they gotta grab onto all they can and hold onto it because there's actually very limited provision But it's different for you and I. There's unlimited provision. That's the difference between a slave mentality and a son mentality. It's very different. Um, Revelation takes risks. And the only way that revelation is accessible to you and I is when we're in a, a solid relationship with the Father. And that means that fresh ideas and fresh thoughts can come to us without concern about conforming to the Master's rules. Do you see what I'm saying? Is now we're free. And it's for freedom that we've been set free. Um, and, and that's why... That's why it's out of a place of security that the transmission, mostly, of revelation takes place. When you know that you're a well-loved son or daughter of the most high God, you can re- you're able to now rightly receive revelation in a brand new way, not thinking, "Ah, oh, he wants something more of me. No, he wants something for you. Both the works and the words are embodied in Jesus. And to encounter the word, we also encounter the works. In John chapter 10, verse 37, it says, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's business. Then you'll know that, I and the, that the father is in me. When we miss the revelation nature of the father and the family, we miss the context of the kingdom. Galatians chapter four and verse eight, it says, when you didn't know God, you were slaves. So we need ongoing faith, you and I. In Romans chapter eight and verse fifteen, it says, "You didn't receive a spirit of bondage." Gosh, this is so important. I uh, just really important because we can come out of one form of bondage and simply enter into another form of bondage. We can come on out of out of addictions to to all kinds of ungodly things and then get into addictions of godly things, you, right? But we still are not free. Do you, We're not free until the love of the Father actually penetrates the hardness of our heart and we're able to now allow our spirit to go, Abba, Daddy. It's a change, relational change and a shift. Are you being driven out of duty? Because slaves just want to survive. Slaves earn by their own work, but a son actually earns by another's work and he is able to receive an inheritance. Now, uh, last thought. Um, in John, John chapter 17, it's like now, he, okay, Jesus has been on mission. And in John chapter 17, he actually summarizes, he's actually giving an account now for his life. That's what, it, that, I know it's the high priestly prayer, but, but he basically begins um, this all by saying, Chapter 1, he says, "A Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, for you have given him authority over everyone, all authority, and he gives, it, uh, and, and gives eternal life. And this is the way that you have eternal life. I brought glory to you. So he gives, and he lists out four specific missions that he fulfills on the earth. Uh, I think that this is wonderful. The word was meant to lead to an encounter and an experience with the Father. That's what it was meant to do. So he lays them out. There's four of them. I finished the work that you asked me to do. Verse 4. Verse six, I told them all about you. Another one of his missions. The fourth mission was, I've given them your word. Another mission. And the fourth one, verse 26, and I have revealed to them and will keep on revealing you. I will do this so that your love for me may be in them and I in them. Simply reading the Bible and expecting it to lead you into a loving relationship with the Father is the same as reading a cookbook and expecting to be a French chef. It's the same as reading the operator's manual for your truck and expecting to be a better driver. Don't just memorize scripture, operationalize scripture. I memorize scripture not for information but for incarnation because you can memorize scripture with the wrong heart have you have you known that yet and then you use it as a dart against somebody else it's not meant that's not what it's meant to do we read and study the scriptures not for information but for revelation that leads to transformation that's why we study the scriptures our hearts need to be transformed It's not enough that we study scripture. We study scripture to encounter the author. That's why we study the word. Here's the raw truth. If knowing the scriptures and knowing God were synonymous, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have recognized the Messiah when he came. But they couldn't and they didn't. It's dangerous that way. Their approach to Scripture actually left them spiritually blind. I'm kind of issuing a warning that we need the Holy Spirit to breathe upon our study. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word, but for the purpose of being transformed by the Word. Right. <clears throat> the Bible is the most known book in all of mankind and the central figure. Is his son Jesus? Do you know him? Not about him, do you know him? If you have an encounter with Jesus, ultimately you'll have an encounter with the Father. Reading the Bible and memorizing it will not necessarily make you a lover of God or the son of the great king. The Bible is a spiritual, living book that must be be spiritually discerned through the filters in our life. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It inspires faith, it makes us wise unto salvation but you have to make the decision, the final decision. It's the most misquoted and misunderstood as well as the most popular. But we will miss the message without the blessed Holy Spirit breathing life to embrace the message of Jesus that reveals the Father's love and invites us into a revelation of relationship. I close. He says, anybody who's thirsty, let him come and drink. <clears throat> but when we drink essentially when we come we're hungry and thirsty we're we're hungry for the bread of life and 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 even though he's the way you and I need to follow on the way <clears throat> I meet people all the time that have had a moment with Jesus they've had a touch but you can be touched and not transformed I've seen people who've had miracles Lives weren't changed, they are just as mean after. Hearts weren't changed. But once, when we encounter Jesus, the potential now, relationally, is to have this revelation of the Father, one of the purposes he came. And once that happens within us, our lens begins to change in the way that we see and do and function from now on. It changes but it's still up to us to decide how much of that are we going to allow to change our actions, our functions, our thinking, and all that. We're not those who are without hope. If you're anxious about the future, if you are without peace in your heart today, if you feel like you've ran out of the love that you need for your children, and it happens, If you find that you've ran out of love and and, and things like what just happened this week don't move you and stir you, you need a fresh encounter. You need to allow the Lord to come and touch your heart again. Each one of these families that were, have been traumatized, Father's heart is breaking for them. And he needs people like you and I to be his hands and his feet. I love the song we sang about, just reveal to us who you want us to love. Once, Once you've had an encounter, You're now now accountable. So as we close today, I wanna pray for those that need a fresh encounter and we've got an altar team that's available to pray with you specifically. If you've been reading through the scriptures and it feels like you're just reading the phone book, you need a fresh touch, some fresh breath. That word needs to come alive and explode into your life. Let's all just stand together as we close. Father, I don't know how many times you've revealed your heart as a father to me. In it, I feel like I'm so dull. And yet again this week, Lord, just showing it to me from your word, and I just gotta sit with that and go, wow, what love. What love is accessible for us? Lord, forgive us for placing boundaries and restrictions based on our earthly revelation of our father upon you as a good good father father forgive us for even thinking that you're going to leave us as orphans just because our earthly fathers did forgive us for thinking that you're not going to share words of encouragement and you're not going to share words of life but you just wanted us to be doing something more for you all of that Lord forgive us for those mindsets that would keep us from a full embrace of the Father's love. Father, I'm asking this morning for a fresh, fresh dew and fresh wind to blow in this place and blow off the cobwebs and the hardness, pierce the darkness of our hearts, Lord, and come and soften us to know your love in a brand new dimension, oh God. Those of us who are fathers and grandfathers, Lord, we need you to impart that perfect, pure love of the Father once again into our hearts, that we could love those that you've placed around us, you've entrusted to us. What a big stewardship that is. Jesus. Just keeping our, keeping it personal with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Are there those here that feel you need a fresh revelation of the Father's love? I just wanna see your hand so I can pray for you. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 thank you. So today, Lord, in the safety of your house, we declare your love is being released right now over these lives that raise their hands, Lord, and us as your children. What a miracle. Spirit of God, thank you for moving right now and ministering brand new, brand new dimensions of knowing, not just by fact but by experience, that we could experience the Father's love this morning. Jesus, I thank you for coming and holding your kids and walking with us, Lord, and surprising us as we have questions. I thank you that you come and you answer those questions. Lord, this morning, I'm so once again amazed at your word and its power to transform lives. I bless those, Lord, today who've come and raised their hands and said, I need another dimension of the Father's love. I thank you, Father, for your presence and your faithfulness to do that for us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's a very big thing. It's a very big thing. Our team is here to pray for you. If you're carrying a burden or you have a need in your life, your heart or anything physically, emotionally, we're here to pray for you, trained, safe. Through those doors walk people who have been touched by the Father's love. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. You're released to go and change your world. Amen.